So good afternoon today. We are so excited to have you join us today with Casey Burns for our special expert series presentation on GA2 MAD, M-A-D-D, Finding the Balance. Today's presentations will be recorded and available on the Mito Action website, as well as our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. My name is Stephanie Harry, and I was recently joined Mito Action's team as a patient support coordinator. I'll be helping today with a question and answer time. And at the end of the presentation, um, we encourage you to ask questions throughout the presentation using the question answer, answer feature on the bottom menu bar of your screen. But if you prefer, at the end of the presentation, you can raise your hand and I can unmute you to ask, and you can ask your own question. Please be reminded to ask general dietary questions and not to use this as an opportunity for specific medical advice. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce Casey Burns. Casey Burns is an amazing metabolic dietitian who has worked at Children's Hospital Colorado for 15 years. She's co-authored many patient education materials and articles on metabolic disorders and loves working hands-on with patients to help them better understand their diagnosis. Thank you so much, Casey, for your hard work and your dedication to this community and for being willing to join us today and share your expertise. Thank you so much, Stephanie. I'm so excited to be here today. Um, so I am going to share my screen so you guys can all see the presentation and let me know if there's any troubles. Okay, are we good, Stephanie? Excellent. Okay. So um, good morning, at least from where I'm from. Um, I'm in Colorado, as Stephanie said, and I'm so excited to be with you guys today and um, talk a little bit more about GA2 or MADD. Um, they're actually synonymous names. Um, and so you might hear them interchangeably uh, used throughout the presentation. So I apologize if it's confusing. Somehow the chat just came up and I can't, oh, there we go. Okay, sorry. Okay, so um, today our objectives are to discuss the difference between GA2 and other um, fatty acid oxidation disorders. We want to provide an overview of all the treatment um, options and plans that exist for GA2, discuss the diet management of GA2 um, through the ages, describe the major roles of the different macro and micronutrients in the diet, and to give you guys a brief overview of monitoring laboratories. Um, so the following presentation is intended for parents or caregivers of individuals with MADD or GA2. Um, any specific recommendations for each person's diet are very individualized and based on their disease severity. So I encourage you to um, take in kind of what we're talking about today, but also always please consult with your healthcare provider before making any changes to your diet or your care plan. Um, so first, let's just dive into kind of what the difference is between GA2 and other fatty acid oxidation disorders. So GA2 is an energy metabolism disorder. It must limit protein as well as fat intake. And so the individuals with GA2 are more reliant on carbohydrates for energy, whereas in fatty acid oxidation disorders, such as VLCAD, LCHAD, CPT1, CPT2, um, you must limit long chain fats um, and all other macronutrients can be eaten in unlimited amounts. Um, and then in MCAD, which is another um, FAOD, 
Uh, you must avoid concentrated sources of medium chain fats and other fats and macronutrients are not limited. So the big difference is that in GA2, um, you must limit the protein and the fat. Whereas in FAODs, we oftentimes are really pushing um, protein for an, another energy source for individuals um, with those disorders. So here's just a little pathway. I um, am a dietitian and in the genetics world. So we love our pathways. And so um, what I wanna show you here is just kind of a general um, overview of what it looks like. So in an individual without GA2, they take protein and fat from their food and protein and fat from their body stores, and they can make amino acids and fatty acids, which then filter down into um, energy and growth. For individuals with GA2, they have difficulties breaking down the protein and fat because they have two different enzymes that could be affected. Um, and generally it's one or the other. So the two enzymes are the electron transfer flavoprotein or the electron transfer flavoprotein dehydrogenase enzymes. Um, so when they have an issue with those, they're blocked and you have a difficult time um, getting energy and growth um, in the body. And so you need to use other sources to provide that energy and growth. So that's where we see um, we have a buildup of glutaric acid and other harmful substances, and you develop the health problems that you guys have probably heard a ton about. Um, I do want to say if anybody has any questions, um, please feel free to speak up um, and uh, put those out there. I think I can see them um, in presentation mode, but I'm not sure. Um, and if not, Stephanie can alert me that um, there's some questions. And so, um, now we will discuss just kind of what the general GA2 treatment plans are. So the first thing that we look at in individuals with um, GA2 is fasting precautions. So this is um, going to change as people age. So when you are a baby and um, just starting out, we typically start at about four hours of fasting and we increase that by about one hour per month of age. Um, and so, you know, when you're first going in, I'm sure you guys all heard this, that, you know, you don't, you don't want to let your baby fast. Well, typically babies anyways, are not going to be sleeping more than two or three hours um, at a time without feedings. And so, but it's really important for individuals with GA2 to make sure that we're not going longer than those timeframes, because that can really put the body at stress and we don't want that to happen. Um, so as they get older though, um, that time frame does uh, lengthen and children, teens and adults um, can go about 12 hours with fasting um, as long as you're healthy. I think I always wanna like put this out there. Um, this will always change in times of illness. So when we talk to our patients, we talk about, you know, if they've all of a sudden vomited, you can't count the meal that they just had because they threw that up. And so it's not going to count. So you have to think back to when did they have their last good meal? So it might've been, maybe they vomited a lunch. And so breakfast was really the last good meal. So thinking, okay, it's really been five hours, not an hour of fasting. And how can we get to that time frame? Um, and when do I need to call? So it's really important to make sure you're staying in touch with your clinic. Um, at our clinic, at least, we give very detailed instructions to our families to really help them to understand when to call us. And honestly, just call us if you're concerned at all. It's really more important 
for you guys to feel comfortable. So that's what we're here for. We're available to you at any time. Um, in our clinic, we have a physician that is on call 24 hours a day as most clinics do. Um, and so we encourage you to call at any time, even if it's 2 AM and you're concerned, please give us a call because we'd rather be extra cautious than be, um, catching up later. Um, so the next treatment that we use in GA2 is diet. Um, which is what we're mainly here to talk about today. So the diet, as I briefly mentioned, is going to be very high in carbohydrates and lower in protein and fat. Um, this will vary from patient to patient. Um, it's based on age. It's based on severity of the disorder and your, your healthcare provider is going to be able to really give you more details about what that looks like for your child, um, or yourself, um, and so it's really important to make sure you maintain close contact with the clinic and stay um, on your visit plan and everything so that you can make sure that as, as you progress through the ages, um, you can understand how things change and needs change. Um, the next thing that we use for um, GA2 treatment is supplementation with riboflavin, carnitine, or glycine supplements. Um, these all help with basically with energy metabolism. So they really encourage um, better use of the nutrients that are coming in. It helps to push those um, um, systems in your body so that you can better metabolize the energy that is coming in. Um, one thing that we use in our clinic, um, again, I know uh, there's only a few of us here. And so that tells us obviously that this is a very rare disorder. Um, so we don't have a ton of experience. I have some experience, um, and I look to the parents, honestly, for a lot of the day-to-day -day discussions to help me understand. But um, the patients that I have are more on the severe side. And so we have used ketones, um, which are basically a um, way to provide an alternate source of energy for the brain. And so trying to help to keep that brain healthy, um, we give the ketones and they're um, a very finicky thing, honestly. Um, so they must be given every three hours because they really peak at the use of energy going into the brain, um, at about 90 minutes. So what we look for in our patient is we give the ketones, we check ketone levels 90 minutes later, and we then are able to look and see if we've managed to make ketones there. So really in individuals with GA2, you don't generally see ketones. And so we want to actually just see that they're positive. Um, they don't need to necessarily be in large amounts, but we just need to be there, have them there. Um, and that's when it tells us that we've hit a dose that is appropriate for our patient. We did this in the hospital, um, because obviously drawing blood, um, every three hours is pretty, uh, intensive. And so we, when we started them, we started on a lower dose and slowly worked our way up over days. Um, and we were able to then check after 90 minutes of dosing those ketones where, um, ketone levels in the blood were. And we then could say, okay, we need to continue to go up on that dose or we're good at where we're at and we can stop that. Um, and now on an ongoing basis, when, my patient does get admitted, we do the same thing. We check to make sure that, um, you know, things are moving along appropriately and the ketone levels are present. And that helps us to understand. 
Um, one question going back to riboflavin that came up um, where Stephanie was very nice to kind of gather questions from all the parents was um, what is the difference between riboflavin and riboflavin 5-phosphate and which one would be better to use as a supplement? Um, so honestly, there's not a lot of evidence of using riboflavin 5-phosphate as a supplement in um J2, but it basically riboflavin is the form that you get in food. Then it is broken down in your body into riboflavin 5-phosphate. Um, and so the one that is easily available though, um, is straight riboflavin and what is generally used as opposed to riboflavin 5-phosphate. Um, so we had just had a question come in that, do you use ketones and diet on a regular basis? Most of our patients are doing well on B2, carnitine, and CoQ enzyme 10. Um, so in my patient, again, um, she's more on the severe side. I have had more that were not on the severe side. Um, and we didn't need to use, we didn't use ketones. Um, we attempted diet. Unfortunately, this patient was older when she got diagnosed. And so diet just wasn't something that worked routinely for her. So Again, it's going to depend on the severity of the disorder and whether you need to have um, diet on a routine basis or not and ketones on a routine basis or not. Um, and you just have to kind of see how the patient is um, responding to treatments. Does that answer the question? Okay, good. Thank you, Daria. Um, Okay. So, um, lastly is emergency treatment. So this again, goes back into looking at fasting precautions and things like that, where if, um, your child's getting sick, um, it's going to be really important to stay in really close contact with your healthcare provider to discuss if you can handle staying at home or if it's at a point where you need to come into the hospital for IVs. Um, we do use, um, a kind of sugar and Gatorade, Gatorade protocol with our patients that is um, in measured amounts of giving just straight, easy to digest carbohydrates that they can take in small amounts and take in every few minutes. Um, and sometimes that is enough to be able to keep them home. It gives them enough calories to really support them through that illness. Um, times that we see that patients absolutely need to come in is when they're vomiting and they can't keep anything down or they're having severe diarrhea and can't keep anything in. Um, so those are the two times that absolutely patients come in. Um, but you know, sometimes in more minor illnesses, we're able to keep them at home by using, um, this Gatorade and sugar protocol that helps, um, to just give them that quick, easy to use energy and fuel. Okay, so now we're going to transition to discussing macro and micronutrients and how these are impacted in GA2. So macronutrients, um, just to give you an idea, kind of a broad overview of nutrition, are the main nutrients that make up the foods that we eat. Um, they provide energy and they are the building blocks for growth. Um, macro is large, so they are used in larger amounts. Um, and they consist of carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. Um, and each one has its own unique role and are all three are needed to make sure that we have a balanced nutrient dense diet. So carbohydrates is the first one that we are going to discuss today. It is the main source of fuel for the body 
for all individuals, um, and especially in GA2. Um, it provides four calories per gram of carbohydrate, and there are three main types. There's um, sugars, which are simple carbohydrates, and they are broken down quickly by the body. So like I was talking about with like the sugar and Gatorade, that's something that's broken down very quickly and able to be used easily, but you have to give it more frequently to be able to, um, to provide that benefit. Um, starches or complex carbohydrates are um, longer chains. So they're broken down much more slowly by the body and they're a lot more complicated to break down. Um, and so they help to fuel for a longer period of time. Um, and the last form of carbohydrate that we're going to talk about is fiber. Um, and that's actually a type of carbohydrate that cannot be broken down and digested. Um, so, uh, if you've heard of like keto diets, a lot of people try to get foods that are really high in fiber because they know that they can't be broken down as much. And so they aren't utilized the same as like a regular carbohydrate is, um, but they do help to regulate digestion, um, blood sugar, and they promote fullness and satiety. So they're really important to have in our, our daily diet. Um, here's some sources of just uh, the different carbohydrates that we just talked about. Um, so simple carbohydrates are things like table sugar, soft drinks, candy, um, more of the processed um, grains or baked goods. Um, sources of complex carbohydrates include whole grains. So, um, whole wheat, pasta, whole wheat, bread, things like that, brown rice, oats, quinoa, um, beans and lentils are a really good source of complex carbohydrates as well as protein. Um, and then starchy vegetables, um, fiber is found in a lot of different foods and it's more in those complex carbohydrates. So things like fruits and vegetables, whole grains, beans, and lentils, um, so now on to GA2. So this carbohydrates are the primary source of calories. And so should be the, really the base of your intake, um, in a GA2 diet. They often do still contain fats and proteins. So make sure you're reading the labels. Um, it's really important to, um, know that, you know, exactly what's going into the body at all times. And that's, I think where things get so confusing in GA2 is because you're really trying to balance so much. And so trying to find sources of carbohydrates that are lower in fat. Um, so things like pastas and rices are going to be a lot lower in fat than, um, baked goods and things like that. Um, so, uh, Complex carbohydrates um, contain more fiber and they help to slow digestion, but keep in mind that whole grain versions will have more protein. And so that's something to recognize that um, you need to find that balance of how many whole grain versions can you use with your protein limits versus how many of just kind of the more processed like white pasta, um, what do you want to use to really balance out being able to utilize protein and other sources? Um, one question that came up, um, from Stephanie's, uh, queries to the group, um, was about resistant starches. So what are resistant starches and are they something that are good? So basically a resistant starch is something where you cook potatoes and then you put them in the fridge and those starches then actually turn into more, um, of a functioning, like a fiber, um, in the diet. And so 
really what they do is they actually provide carbohydrate, but it's more like fiber where if you remember, we talked about those aren't broken down as much. And so, yes, they are good in the sense that they will provide fiber and they help to provide satiety, but they aren't going to be a carbohydrate that your body uses to actually provide energy. Um, so they can be used, but I don't think that's something that you want to use fully, um, as the source of carbohydrates, because you want to make sure that you're getting those calories, um, from the carbohydrates, uh, simple carbohydrates can still be included. Another question that was asked, you know, are we, are we able to use these or not? Um, but they often do typically contain more fat. So, you know, thinking along the lines of baked goods, especially, um, and those are going to be something that, you know, obviously we have kids <laughs> and they're going to want treats. So what kinds of treats can you use? You can still give simple carbohydrates, but let's think about which ways we can do that so that they aren't necessarily containing that fat. So maybe a popsicle as opposed to, um, ice cream or a Danish, you know, and that would give you a treat for, um, your child, but also not contain the fat that, um, that you're really trying to limit. Um, you know, and, and I think a question that comes up all the time is like, how can I feed my kid with, you know, getting variety and not just the same fruits and vegetables. So I think getting creative with those fruits and vegetables is really important. So you can cut them into fun shapes. Um, you can do spiralized or you can do coins. Um, you can, you know, try to change up the shape, um, roasting them in an air fryer. I have to say for anybody that's on a low fat diet, the air fryer is a fantastic, um, tool to use because it really does help to kind of give you that crispier, um, texture while limiting the fat that you have to use. So you can use, you know, maybe a teaspoon of fat versus a tablespoon of fat. Um, if you're roasting in just the oven, um, there's also adding different sauces and trying to get creative with that. Um, I'm going to mention Walden farms a few times today. Um, and if you haven't seen these products, they're, they're, they were developed basically for, um, diabetes and they are tons of different sauces and dressings and, um, things that are all actually completely calorie free. So in that sense, they're not helpful, <laughs> um, to get extra calories in, but they give you lots of different flavorings. So you can use, they have anywhere from barbecue sauce to chocolate sauce to ranch dressing, and they're all calorie free. So protein free and fat free. So they're a really great way to, um, add some different flavors versus, um, having to, in, with a low fat option, a low protein option. Something that we use in our clinic, um, is the simplified diet. So these are all fruits and vegetables that we give to our families on any protein restricted diet and say, these can be eaten freely. Um, and I think it's really nice to just have those in your head, um, in GA2, the protein requirements tend to be more of kind of minimum requirements for growth at age. So it's not that you're necessarily on a low protein diet, um, but you're on a lower protein diet than what we see in the American population. Um, and so trying to limit the 
sources of protein can be tough. And that's nice to kind of have these fruits and vegetables that you know that you can just turn to and you can teach your child what these are as well. So they know that when they go over to friends' houses, they can say, yeah, I can have a banana or I can have, you know, carrots, no big deal. Um, and that gives them the opportunity to have that independence. Um, and it's really made a huge difference in our patient population. The kids are really love being able to just say, wow, I can go and eat these things and not stress about, you know, telling my mom or dad how much of these things that I ate, um, while I was at my friend's house. And it really helps to open up, um, the diet and it helps to open up, um, their ability to go out and make choices on their own. And if anybody wants a copy of this, um, I can definitely share it with Stephanie who can get it to you guys. So, um, okay. So now we are going to move on to fats and, um, again, fats are limited in a GA2 diet. Um, generally we limit our fat intake to about 15% of calories, which is about half of what is recommended, um, for, uh, individuals, um, after the age of one under the age of one general fat requirements are a lot higher for brain growth. And so we have to balance that in GA2 of, um, how much fat can we give to maximize that brain growth versus making sure that we're keeping, um, that down to keep the patient safe. Um, so the major role of, um, fats in the diet is to provide energy and essential fatty acids. It also aids in the absorption of fat soluble vitamins. So this is important in thinking about if, um, you've been prescribed a multivitamin. Um, so fat soluble vitamins are a D E and K. Um, Oftentimes, most babies are um, encouraged to take a vitamin D supplement and timing of that is really important. You want to make sure that you're giving those fat soluble vitamins with a meal that has the highest fat content for the day. So oftentimes for a lot of patients that turns into being kind of at dinner time. Um, and so taking that multivitamin with that will help to make sure that you're absorbing those fat soluble vitamins Um at the optimal rate. Um, so again, they provide energy. So as you can see, they have nine calories per gram, which is more than double what carbohydrates provide. Um, they're classified as saturated, unsaturated, or trans. And most of the fat in our diets, um, contains long chain fatty acids. And so again, this would be something that when you look at like a patient with VLCAT or LCHAD, they have to really be careful about, um, the type of fat that they're getting versus in, um, MADD or GA2, the type of fat doesn't matter quite as much. Um, but again, the bulk of the fats that you're getting from the diet are going to come from long chain fats. Um, there are a few sources such as palm oil or coconut oil that provide medium chain fats. So how can we maximize our fat? Um, this is really important when you're on a fat restricted diet. So the essential fats are super important. They must be consumed in the diet. Your body cannot synthesize those like it can from other fats. So, um, good sources of essential fats include flax oil, walnut oil, soybean, vegetable oil, and fatty fish. If fatty fish are allowed in your diet, um, 
for us, when we have a patient that's on the more severe spectrum, it's really important to kind of minimize how much fats we're having to use from added oils. And so we look at using a DHA supplement to make sure that we can really maximize how much fat they can get from food. So the DHA supplement is going to give a very small amount of fat, but it's that end source of what you need from essential fats. So basically it's what is broken down into is that DHA. And so by giving that as a straight supplement, we don't use up as much fat from the added oils um, and are able to then allow more fat in the the meal plan. Um, So another thing to maximize your fat is to really sit down and make meal plans. Um, given a allotted amount of fat per meal, but you want to also leave wiggle room because if your child gets hungry for, you know, a little bit extra of something that gives you the ability to offer something other than just fruits and vegetables. But again, it's so much easier, honestly, to sit down and think, okay, we can have four grams of fat at this meal and 10 at this meal and whatnot. Um, and really kind of have that in your head so that you don't have to, stress every day by the end of the day and think, oh, where can we make it up? Um, The other thing that's good to do is to choose low fat carbohydrates and lean proteins to allow for added fats with cooking and flavoring. Um, So really leaning on those kind of um, breads and pastas and rices and lean proteins, which we will talk about in the next section. Um, Another question that came up um, was, you know, can I give my kid pizza? <laughs> and yes, you can do. You just need to look for those low fat versions of the foods. Um, and that helps you to be able to incorporate more variety. And the earlier you can start those, because if you've ever tasted low fat cheese, when you've had regular cheese, it's not as good. And we understand that. But when you start with low fat cheese, um, it really is something that you don't miss. Um, same thing. I talked to my families about on very, very low protein diets. Like if they've never eaten a hamburger or if they've never eaten a piece of chicken, it's not something that they miss. It's not something that they're used to. And so starting early with those low fat versions is really important. So that way it gets them used to the different flavors and the different textures that you get from those products. Next and last in the macronutrients is protein. Um, So the major role of protein, um, as many of us know, is in cell and tissue growth. So building those muscles and making sure we're growing at the rate that we are supposed to be. Um, Again, they contain four calories per gram. So they're similar in um, calorie content as carbohydrates. And they're composed of many different amino acids that are linked together. So when I talk to patients about Um, amino acids, I basically talk about how they're the building blocks of proteins. So if you think there's about 20 different amino acids and we have to build them all together to form a protein that then um, is used basically what's coming from food. And so then as they go into your body, your body breaks them down slowly um, into those those amino acids that are then used for growth. Um, So There are two types of amino acids, um, similar to fats. There's essential and non-essential, um, essential fats or proteins, I'm sorry, are ones that cannot again, be made by the body and they must be consumed through the diet. So there's several of those, um, that you want to make sure that you are getting. Um, one thing that came up, um, in discussions was, 
you know, should we supplement with essential fat or proteins? And that's something that we'll talk about. Um, and then there's non-essential and those are ones that can be made by the body. So basically you take an essential protein and enzyme works on them and they break them down into different, um, non-essential proteins. Um, adequate protein is very important during periods of growth or increased demand, such as infancy. So protein requirements are actually highest per, um, weight in infancy and they slowly decrease as we get older. So, um, but then when during pregnancy and breastfeeding protein needs go up again. Um, and so it's important to recognize that, um, protein needs do change through the growth cycle and, um, and talking to your healthcare provider to really understand what that means for your child at that certain time of their life is really important. So some low fat protein sources, um, there's animal-based proteins as well as plant-based proteins. Um, and you really just need to speak with your healthcare provider before introducing any new foods. So if they've told you that you need to really limit your animal-based proteins. Please don't all of a sudden <laughs> introduce those um, based on this. But the more lean protein sources are lean meats and fish. So um, more of the white fish versus things like salmon that are gonna be um, higher in fat or lean meats include things like um, chicken breast or turkey breast versus um, any of the dark meat options. Um, you can also find, um, ground beef and, um, other alternatives that are going to be really low. They have, you know, 99% fat-free, um, ground beef, um, and it goes down from there, um, in percentages. There's also low fat or fat-free dairy options. So milk, yogurt, cheese, cottage cheese, um, plant-based, um, options are going to be a lot lower in fat in general. Um, so beans, lentils, peas, um, there's a powdered peanut butter. Uh, if you guys have never seen it, it's PB2 is one of the brands. Um, protein powders are a good source as well as tofu. Now on to how can we incorporate all of this into G2? Um, one way to maximize your protein is to choose plant proteins over animal proteins. So um, again, protein needs generally in GA2 are going to be kind of what the RDA is. So minimum requirements. So when you compare it to some of our other low protein diets, where we have to use low protein pasta or low protein rice, we don't need to do that in GA2. And you may be able to incorporate things such as plant proteins and maybe animal proteins in smaller amounts. Um, the benefit of plant proteins is that they are lower in fat and they also provide more bulk for the amount of protein. So if you look at the foods that, um, you know, we mentioned earlier that are higher in fiber that are carbohydrates, they also were in those lean plant protein sources. So beans, lentils, all of those are going to be a lot higher in fiber and provide a lot more bulk and help fill you up a lot faster than an animal protein will be. Um, one alternative that I love to talk about is jackfruit. Um, I don't know how many people have tried that. Um, but if you get the unripe jackfruit, um, you can actually cook it in barbecue sauce or, um, other flavorings, taco seasoning, and they actually sell it, um, seasoned at the grocery store as well. Um, and they're a great low protein fat meat alternative. It actually shreds up kind of like a, um, shredded pork. And so it's great for tacos. It's great for, um, 
you know, on a bun, um, you can put it into spaghetti sauce. There's all different things that you can do with it that just helps to add a little bit of um, more of a texture for um, your child. Um, and then I touched a little bit on the essential amino acids. So I did have a question asking about um, the use of essential amino acid supplements versus food protein. And would that be something that would be good because it's giving you more quality protein? Um, yes, it's giving you more quality protein, but I also caution in using those because that's going to limit the amount of protein that you can get from food. And obviously a lot of things revolve around food in our culture. And so trying to normalize things as much as possible, um, is really important for a lot of patients, especially as they're teenagers, things like that, trying to give them as much food that they can eat to really fill them up. Um, if you watch a teenager eat, you'd be amazed at how much they can put down. And so really trying to maximize the bulk of the food, um, and protein that they can get is really important as opposed to giving them something that's like a supplement. The other thing with essential amino acid supplements is they don't taste good at all. Um, they're really, <laughs> um, very bitter, um, as any individual amino acid supplement tends to be, but the essential ones are, are a lot more bitter than, um, just a general total amino acid supplement. Um, the second way to maximize your protein is use proteins as complements to meals rather than as the main component. So if you look at what kind of a typical American plate looks like, it's usually a big chunk of meat, smaller amounts of vegetables, and then, um, some carbohydrates, um, in G2 or where you're trying to really kind of, um, get protein, but not too much. It's really a nice way to, um, just kind of include small amounts. So easy ways to do that are stir fries. I think that's like the number one way. So you can do tons of different vegetables and just put little bits of a protein in that, um, toppings on salads mixed with pasta and vegetables. Um, another thing that I love to talk to families about is like when you're making like, just like ground meat for tacos, like you can use like ground turkey or beans, but chop up a ton of different vegetables. So chop up onions, chop up bell peppers, um, mushrooms, um, and mix those all together and put the seasoning. Um, and then you can have that instead. And that really gives you still that flavoring of the protein, but it gives you less pro protein, um, for the bulk that you get. Um, and if you look on any of, um, like, PKU is kind of our most common disorder that is a low protein diet. If you look on any of their websites, um, there's going to be a ton of options for ways to have foods that we eat on a daily basis, but make them low protein. So it's a good um, source for you guys to go to. Um, another question that I had was, you know, with eating a low protein diet, how do we make sure that we're meeting our iron needs? So this is one thing that, um, at our clinic, at least we do check iron levels and make sure that they're um, good. But if you are concerned, that's a great thing to talk to your healthcare provider about, but some easy ways to kind of incorporate a little bit more iron into the diet is using cast iron pans. Um, when you use those, it actually helps to kind of give a little bit of iron from that pan into the food. Um, dark leafy greens are a really great source of iron, but they are not absorbed well, unless you pair it with a source of vitamin C. So an example would be a spinach salad and you put some mandarin oranges on it. So you have the spinach, um, giving you those dark leafy greens that are higher in iron, but you have those mandarin oranges that are giving you that vitamin C that are going to help your body to actually absorb it better. 
Um, the other option that you can do is supplements. Um, a big thing with iron supplements is that they're really hard on the stomach though. Um, so there are slow release options out there that are a lot less hard on the stomach. Um, and so those are the best option if you're looking at doing a supplement because you have low iron. So that was kind of an overview of the macronutrient needs in general, as well as in um, GA2. Then micronutrients are basically vitamins and minerals. Okay. So those are needed in much smaller amounts compared to the amount that um, you get from macronutrients. Um, the major roles are they are essential for production of enzymes, hormones, other substances um, required for normal growth, development, and function. Um, you can see micro deficiencies um, and they can be very visible, but they also can have very subtle, mild impacts. So for example, um, you're always tired. Like, why am I always tired? Well, are you getting enough B12? Are you getting enough iron? Are you getting enough folate? Those are all reasons that are going to make your body just kind of drag a little bit more if you have low levels of those. Um, and then for me, you know, looking and saying a question that I had was, do we see a lot of micronutrient deficiencies? And I think that's going to be very dependent on if your child is on a formula or are they not on a formula um, and how varied is their diet um, on a day-to-day -day basis. So if they're getting good vitamin, um, good fruits and vegetable intake, um, you're really getting a good variety of the different proteins. Um, then generally we don't see a ton of nutrient deficiencies. However, that's something that's really important to stay in close contact with your healthcare provider. Um, you can provide them accurate diet records, and that's the best way to really look and say, are we meeting everything that we need to meet? Or do we need a multivitamin on top of that? Um, and again, I encourage you to really talk about that with your um, dietitian or your physician. So some other thoughts of just kind of how do you balance all of this out? I think, you know, we touched on meal planning earlier, but I think it's a really big thing that um, is underutilized <laughs> um, and I get it. We're all busy, but really trying to look and say, okay, how can I balance out what is important for every meal? So for some individuals, it's going to be the protein is a lot harder to manage. And for some individuals, it's going to be the fats a lot harder to manage. And so really looking and saying, okay, which one is harder for me? And I need to then say, okay, I can have this much of protein at each meal or this much fat at each meal. And then I can look and say, where are my protein needs or where are my fat needs to really find that balance. Um, but again, meal planning will help you to be able to look and say, okay, we can have this much at breakfast. We can have this much at lunch and this much at dinner, but don't forget about snacks. So you want to make sure that you're um, leaving those options um, with a little bit of protein and a little bit of fat for snack time as well. Um, great things to look at for snacks are low fat options, um, as well as gluten-free options. And I know that sounds kind of weird, but gluten-free options tend to be a little bit lower in protein, um, than their counterparts are in, um, like using a whole grain. I cannot emphasize this last one, <laughs> this bullet enough. Um, recipe modification is huge and please, please, please reach out to your dietitian. I don't know how many patients I say this to. I'm that's what I'm here for. I am here to look at things and give you options and give you ways to make it work in your everyday life. So if there's a recipe that you love and all your family loves, and you want to be able to use that, 
um, for your child with GA2, send it to your dietitian. She'll be able, she or he will be able to look at it and say, yes, this is too high in this or that, but here's some alternatives you can use to bring down that fat, to bring down that protein. Um, and so oftentimes you can replace a portion of the protein with vegetables to help reduce the protein and fat. Like I talked about when you're making like a taco meat or, um, spaghetti sauce, you can use a little bit of ground Turkey with some added vegetables that give that texture as well. Um, another question that came up was how do we transition from a G tube to, um, oral intake? And that can be tricky. Um, and honestly, as a dietitian, that is not something that we're necessarily fully trained on. Um, so I can't emphasize enough that you need to work with the team that's available at your hospital. Um, so the first thing that you're going to want to do is get a swallow study. You know, there's a reason, obviously, that the G-tube is there. Um, let's make sure that your child is safe um, to be eating by mouth. Um, and you also want to make sure that we look at what texture is going to be safe for them. So, um, there's varying levels of texture that exist and they can see that in a swallow study and say, okay, they're safe to drink liquids or they're safe to, you know, have, um, mechanic, mechanicized, um, you know, proteins and things like that. So, um, the next thing that we then encourage our families to do is work with a feeding therapy specialist. So we have a great team at children's that, um, we work with routinely and I have a great relationship with the dietitian there. And we talk every time there's a patient going to them, we sit and talk and say, okay, this is what they're, they're, um, restriction looks like here's some foods that might be good options. And they throw out, well, we want to work on this texture with them, um, or this ability and would this be a good option or not? And then we come back and forth together to really come up with ways to optimize that therapy. Um, but they're the ones that are going to be able to really sit down, look and say, what's going on in the mouth. Um, do we need to do some, you know, work on the tongue strength and things like that, um, that as a dietitian, I can't do necessarily. Um, one thing that we do talk about though, with our patients is offering fruits pr prior to the next feeding. So you get feeds every three or four hours via the G tube right before that feed, maybe offer some food because if they're not hungry and they're getting feeds routinely, then they're not going to want to eat any of the foods. So you want to make sure that they're at their optimal hungriest point. Um, and so really offering those foods prior, right before that next G tube feeding is really important. Um, other questions that came up were what are some different things that we can do to really, um, change up every day. So, um, I already mentioned the Walden farm sauces and dips. Those are really great way. Other, um, things that are going to be lower in protein are things like rice noodles or mung bean noodles. Um, I don't know if you've heard of the mung bean noodles. Um, they're both Asian noodles, um, but they're actually naturally very low in protein mung bean noodles. We don't even count, um, uh, in our clinic and they're a great alternative to, um, rice or things like that. You can put a stir fry over top of them. Um, you could even put them with all the different sauces. Um, and they make a great alternative for spaghetti, um, using portobello mushrooms. So, you know, mushrooms have kind of a similar texture when you cut them up or chew it, bite into them as like a piece of meat will. So if you're having a barbecue, throw a portobello mushroom on the, um, grill instead of, a 
hamburger or whatever, or veggie burger. And that gives you that option. That's going to be a lot lower in protein. Um, but give you that kind of feel of being able to have a burger with everybody else. Um, curries are a really easy way, um, because they're made with coconut milk, which is going to be a lot lower in protein. You want to use a light coconut milk to really reduce that fat as much as possible, but they're a great way to work in, um, different vegetables. And you can, again, like I was talking about, use very small amounts of proteins to give some, but not as much and really give those, um, the vegetables, um, a highlight of that meal. Um, trying to change up the spices. So look at different spice, um, combinations, look at, you know, Italian or Greek or, you know, African or Asian, um, and, um, just trying to, you know, really change up the flavors because again, the same fruits and vegetables do get kind of boring after a while, but if you can flavor them differently, then there, um, are definitely ways to, to kind of bring new flavor profiles in. Um, and then again, getting creative with those fruits and vegetables by cutting them into different shapes, roasting them, um, cooking them a little bit differently, throw them on the grill. Sometimes those grill marks are really fun to just have, and it changes up the, um, the flavor some. Um, so we do have a question that, um, are there any diet ideas or tricks to decrease nausea? I think that's a tricky question in the sense that, um, you know, is the nausea, what's the nausea due to, um, oftentimes, and we talk about this with, um, women that are pregnant as well. Um, letting the stomach empty actually, um, can cause nausea to get worse. And so trying to kind of keep, um, something small in the stomach is really helpful, really eliminating smells of foods can really help with nausea, um, as well. And so we encourage kind of, you know, if, you're cooking, kind of keep, um, your child, if they're having some nausea in a different area, open some windows that way it kind of airs out those smells. Cause, um, sometimes the different smells can make nausea worse. Um, very simple, like plain carbohydrates are a, an easy way to kind of, um, reduce kind of that nausea. You don't want to have anything that's too, um, spicy or anything that's too flavorful. Um, cause that can definitely make nausea worse. And again, the, that smell of those foods, um, can definitely make nausea worse as well. So, um, those are just some different tips. Um, we have a lot of patients that honestly have, um, Zofran at home as well. So if nausea is an ongoing concern, we do encourage kind of use of that to kind of help to bring it down as much as possible. So I hope that answers that question. Um, here are some different snack ideas. I know it's, it's hard to kind of come up with, um, things to kind of feed your kid on the fly, but, um, air pop popcorn is a great one. Um, the dairy-free go-gurts, um, looking at those, um, they're actually from a coconut milk, um, and each tube is about two and a half grams of fat. So, and then zero protein. So those are a great way to kind of have, um, something, um, different and in the diet, um, that's going to be lower in protein. Um, you can also use that as like a dip for fruit, which is nice, um, to kind of give some different, um, flavors with the fruit. Um, gluten-free bread, um, with jelly is a great option. Gluten-free cereal with rice milk, rice cakes, um, the Hunt's juicy gels. I don't know, um, how many of those you guys use, but they're going to be protein-free and fat-free. Um, and they're a great kind of treat, um, to have on the side, um, cook and serve pudding. So I was kind of looking this up and, um, 
to make it with uh, rice milk uh, doesn't work well with the instant puddings. Um, but when you do the cook and serve, it does work well with milk alternatives that are going to be lower in fat and lower in protein. Um, fat-free whip toppings. So like cool whip on fruit is a great idea. Fruit snacks, um, pretzels are going to be really low in fat. Gluten-free options are going to be much lower in protein. Um, even just like the pretzel crisps, the flat ones are a good one that are really low in protein and fat. Um, and then the last idea is, um, the apple chips. So, um, there's a lot of different brands. Bear is one of the brands that I looked up um, and is a great brand that uh, will give you some different um, flavor profiles as well as um, be lower in fat and lower in protein. So the last topic we're going to touch on is laboratory monitoring. Um, so I'm just going to be very kind of brief and surface level with this because um, you don't need to understand all the nitty gritty, but um, we look at quantitative serum amino acids in our patients. Um, these are used to make sure that we are meeting protein intake. Um, so if we see that they're all low, that is a signal to us that we need to give additional protein. Um, when we see certain ones that are high, um, it can trigger different thoughts. So if all of them are high, then we need to look and say, okay, maybe we're giving too much protein. Um, but if certain ones, so the branch chain amino acids, like isoleucine, valine, and leucine, if those are high, that to me is a trigger that we are not meeting energy needs. And that's where then we would look and say, okay, how can we increase energy intake? Obviously you can't add fats, which is the easy way to add energy. <laughs> um, so for our patients that do struggle with energy intake, um, what we use is things like polycal, which is, um, basically, a, um, glucose polymer. So it's just carbohydrates that are giving more calories, um, but they don't have protein and they don't have fat. So those are an easy thing that you can then add into Gatorade or add to juices to really maximize those ca that calorie intake um, by, but not adding protein or fats. Um, so urine organic acids were asked about. Um, we use these in diagnosis, but because they're not quantitative, they're not used for ongoing management. So when we have a new baby come in, we will get urine organic acids and we'll say, okay, what it, which ones are high and what is that flag for us? Um, and we will then be able to look and say, okay, it's maybe this disorder or that disorder. But again, they're not something that we use for ongoing management typically. Um, ketones, um, I briefly mentioned in um, discussing. So we measure ketones in our patients. Um, they're measured again, 90 minutes after consumption, um, just to ensure that we're getting the correct dosing. Um, other possible labs that your clinic will look at is a comprehensive metabolic panel, um, which will look at liver function. It will look at calcium. It will look at um, blood glucose, things like that. Complete blood count is one that we look at, um, to ensure, um, about infections and things like that. Um, prealbumin is also another protein marker that we use often. Um, again, there's a ton of other things that, um, may be looked at. Um, vitamin D is a common one. Um, some iron panels, ferritin will give us all that idea. Um, so those are all things that we really look at just to make sure that we're getting a complete picture. Um, essential fatty acids are another one that you can look at to ensure that we're meeting those essential fats, um, in the diet and not, um, undershooting those. And so we can make adjustments based on that. So, um, 
Um, so here are my references. And I want to give a special thanks to Mary Sawa and Sandy Van Kalkar, who are both dietitians, um, who shared some slides with me. And Ina Kochar is a physician that I work with um, who helped to ensure I had everything accurate for you guys today. All right, so any questions? I am going to pause my share at this point or stop sharing, I guess. Yeah, go ahead and stop your share and I'm gonna change the view. So in case anybody puts their hand up. Okay, there we go. We can see them. <laughs> that was absolutely amazing. I know that other people in here I'm sure have learned a whole lot and are super, super excited. Um, and you did such an excellent job at doing your presentation and looking at the questions at the same time. So <laughs> I was trying to balance it all. Um, if anybody has any extra questions, um, please go ahead and feel free to type them in under the question answer time um, or feel free to raise your hand. And a question that a question that came up or that I was curious about is you mentioned jackfruit and I'm curious mm -hmm. um, when you prepare that, do you cook it or do you prepare it raw? Like how do you, yeah. how do you go about that? So um, you can do it in like a pressure cooker or a crock pot or on the pan um, on the stove. And yeah, you just boil it down in um, whatever, like you can do water um, or in barbecue sauce or whatever. And it, and it really just peels. Like, it's like amazing. <laughs> How long does it take to cook is, um, you know, I, I think it depends on what you're mixing it with, but you can kind of usually like a half hour, you can kind of get it to cook down and, um, but yeah, you don't want to eat it raw when it's unripe. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You definitely want to cook it, but don't buy the ripe because the ripe is like super sweet and, um, like fruit, like, whereas the unripened is, um, very bland flavored. And that's why it's nice. Cause you can add a lot of different flavors to it. Okay. Does it change the chemical structure too? If it's super sweet, once it's ripe or it's still, no, I mean, it, from a protein and fat perspective, it's going to be the same. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned, you mentioned a little bit about resistant starches and, and, how, like if you cook a sweet potato and then you put it in the fridge and it can become a resistant starch, how much of that sweet potato becomes a resistant starch on the first or second day? Like is some of it still a regular complex carb and resistant yeah. or how does that yeah, work? Yeah. I don't know how deeply and honestly, any of that's been looked at. I think it's more just a lot of people have been using it from a keto diet perspective of trying, um, to, uh, to, try to kind of reduce the amount of carbohydrates that they're getting. So, and it looks okay. like we have a question. Um, yeah, not. So <laughs> the question is, are there any good meal shakes that are low in fat and protein, but high carb? Um, no. <laughs> so Stephanie did send me that question and I really was looking really hard at so many different ones. And there's, there's some decent ones that are used from a G2 perspective, but there are not a lot that are going to be something that are something you want to drink. Um, so unfortunately the bulk of those are made for patients that are low, um, low weight and need the extra calories. So they're going to need that extra protein and the extra fat. And they're a lot of times used for, um, recovery from like surgeries and things like that, where you need the extra protein. So unfortunately there really aren't, and that would be something that you could 
you know, maybe talk with, um, your clinic and see, do they have any ideas of ones that you could make yourself and maybe freeze and then take out as you need them. So is it just that it's not palatable to take it orally and like, can you use it in an NG tube if you are in a hospital and like, are there? Yeah. So like something like Tolerex, um, is going to be the most used one. And it's, um, like 8% of the calories are from protein. So it's going to be on the lower end. Um, and then it's very, very low in fat. Um, but it would be, but it's broke those broken down amino acids that I was mentioning are pretty bitter. Um, that's what it's made from. And so it's more something that's appropriate to go through an NG or a G tube. Okay. Yeah. So, so you mentioned, um, you mentioned altering diets and the importance of working with your dietitian on doing that and coming up with creative ideas. Is there a website that you ever refer parents to, to kind of go to, to find some recipes that have been already pre-altered? So, so there's not going to be any that are going to do protein and fat is the problem. Um, so there you're, there's plenty that do protein. Um, and then there's plenty that do fat and, but unfortunately most of the low fat ones are going to be encouraging high protein. Um, and so what I would say is you definitely check out anything. If you Google PKU, um, it's going to have a ton of different recipes. So, um, all the different companies. So Cambrook foods is one that makes a lot of the low protein foods. They have a ton of recipes on there. Um, another one that a lot of our patients really like is cook for love. Um, and they have a ton of lower protein ones. And then you would just have to look and say, how can I modify the fat on those? Okay. And do you know if insurance companies, because I know coverage is, is variable with low protein foods for even the mm-hmm. PKU community, yeah. um, do they ever cover a couple for, you know, for like a GA2 family or is it, it just? Yeah, it depends on um, the state you live in. Okay. So it's very dependent on state to state. So, yeah. Yep. Well, if there are no more questions, we will definitely um, be posting this presentation. Thank you so much, Casey. This was absolutely amazing. And oh, I we're so <laughs> honored to have you for sure. Um, and I just want to give a shout out and thank you to all the parents that came and participated in this and remind you that it will be posted on the website. So if you missed something or you were writing down vigorously, like I was, um, it will be there. It will be there for you to review, to share with your friends. And I also just wanted to remind you guys that uh, we do have the fatty acid oxidation conference scheduled for this summer, and it's going to be in Pittsburgh. So if you're not sure what that's about, or you haven't heard about that yet, feel free to put your email address um, in the chat box, and I will get it down and email you privately. Um, And also, I want to remind you that we have support groups for um, FAODs, and that includes you too, GA2 families. So um, those are normally the second Thursday of the month at 8.15 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And then the last Thursday of the month, we do a call at 1 p.m. So we try to get two different um, timeframes in there. So feel free to um, talk with me about that or go to the Mito Action webpage and we have information about that there too. So anyways, have a wonderful day. And again, Casey, thank you so much. I look forward to chatting with you soon. Yes, thank you guys. Bye. Bye.